Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to the 100th episode of Dogcast Radio. And it's also our Christmas show, so you're in for a treat. In this episode, we have interviews with a Labradoodle Rescue Society. And of course, any dog that has Labrador in it cannot be guaranteed not to shed or to be allergy-friendly. It is a myth that all Labradoodles are suitable for anybody who may suffer from asthma or any dog allergy. We also have a festive Dogcast Radio news and a special Christmas story for you. But before all that, we have an interview with Cheryl Mathis, the dog expert, author, speaker, media personality and founder of Leashes and Lovers. She's a certified dog trainer, a psychology graduate, and she has a master's in radio and TV. So she's very well qualified for what she does. Well, thank you. Yeah, it crosses a few paths and it kind of ties together so many things that I love and brought them all together to become one thing. And I'm a dog expert and a little bit different sort. So even though I am a certified dog trainer, with the psychology background, I love to, to merge the two and talk to people about how their dogs also impact their relationships. Because your dog is part of your entire family, it also affects how you are introduced uh, with your friends and even your immediate family and your extended family or if you're single and who you might date. So it really impacts more than we may realize or give credit for, but it, you know, it certainly does change the dynamic. It does. It, what I find is people who don't take to my dog, you know, it really colors my judgment of them and I kind of end up thinking, I don't, I'm not sure I actually really like you anymore. Isn't it funny? It really does. And I hear that from so many dog lovers and they'll put their dog to the test uh, for them and they'll see how the person reacts around their dog or how their dog especially reacts around the other person. And, you know, if they get, if you get a strange vibe, you do kind of wonder like, well, what's going on here? And am I really going to connect with this person if they're not connecting with my dog or if my dog seems a bit aloof or skeptical of them, you know, should I? Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. Now, you said you're, you're a dog expert. So give, mm-hmm. us a, give us an idea of what a dog expert actually does. Well, as the dog expert, I do a number of things. And it began when I was having these events in Manhattan and where I was meeting so many dog lovers with various breeds. And I started asking them questions, a little bit of my roots from being a TV news reporter and then also my psychology background. But I wanted to hear from them how their dog impacted their lives. And as I heard so many stories and and started drawing a lot of conclusions and Um, and talking to them about this and posting the various interviews, I started to see a running thread. Um, And I've become the dog expert when it comes to how people's dogs impact their relationships. And it's it's interesting. You really start to see a lot of the same scenarios. Um, You know, the single dog lover, for instance, will say how she's not going, especially for women, (laughs) that there will not be a second date if that guy does not like their dog. I mean, that is, that is a real crux for them in terms of, again, putting the dog probably to the test or putting the person to the test of, you know, is there going to be strife in that relationship right from the start? And if that doesn't seem to flow, then it's not going to happen. So I've talked to single dog lovers. I've talked to couples who are in a relationship and what happens in terms of 
Uh, are there debates in terms of how they're going to discipline the dog? Uh, to even those who have family with extended family and what happens over the holidays if they go home and maybe their family is not as accepting of the dog. So as the dog expert, you know, I get the dog training questions, what happens when my dog keeps peeing on my rugs? How do I solve that? <laughs> but it goes beyond that more in terms of, because a lot of times it really does come down to the relationship and what's happening. How is your dog looking at you? Does your dog give you the respect that um, you need? Are you being enough of an authority? So it really takes into account several things in terms of what's going on in the relationship and the dynamics. And then from there we can work on behavior issues with the dog. Yeah, yeah. I really like that approach of sort of it's not the dog in isolation. You know, we have a problem with the dog, whatever it's doing, and it's, it's the dog in a little bubble that's having this problem. It's, as you say, it's his relationship with his people, you know, and it, it's a whole, it's the context, isn't it? And that's a great way to approach it. It is, and I love how you said that. It's not like that just the dog is in the bubble and that we can say, you know what, my dog just doesn't behave and fix it. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's not that the dog is this isolated member of our household. There's usually other things going on, um, and a lot of times I'll have people even write to me and say, well, you know, my dog was fine, and now it's starting to jump on me, or now it's really starting to bark. And a lot of times it's because other factors have come into play that have brought maybe some of those issues on and it's not that we can turn and just look at the dog and blame the dog you know a lot of times we're we're kind of a factor in that and we need to see what we might be doing to contribute that and then how we can help solve it yeah yeah and I think it's great that there's someone like you that we can turn to because sometimes you're too close to the situation yourself and you think well I haven't done anything different I haven't changed and then somebody else will say well hang on (laughs) what about this you know and it can be something um my dog started, he was, um, I think he was about two, easily two, and he was clean, obviously at that age. And then he started um, soiling in the kitchen overnight. So he'd be trying to get to the, to the door to get out, couldn't, mm-hmm. and, and he would soil. And I thought, well, what, you know, what on earth is this? And we changed his food and we changed various things. And it was the fact that my daughter had come out of school. She, we'd started homeschooling her. And I used to walk him at three o'clock when I was mm-hmm. about to pick her up. And then all of a sudden, that went to 10 o'clock in the morning, and he wasn't getting that walk later on. And so he couldn't manage, you know, but it took talking it through with the vet at that point, and sort of, we were trying to pin down anything. But I just couldn't, it's stupid, but I just could not put that right. together. So it's great. Right. That, you know, you it, can, like you said, sometimes it does take that outside yeah. voice to see right, what might have changed about your schedule, what might have changed about your life. Um, even just your daughter going off to school can make your dog think, well, what's changed here? She's not around now. What's going on? And our dogs are smarter sometimes than we may give them credit for. They're, they love routine. Yeah. They like things happening. They may not be able to exactly tell time, but they get a sense of this happens at this time and next I do this. You know, every morning I go for my walk or then I get my food. Um, believe me, my dogs know we, we've gotten into this habit where after they go out when we first bring them in, they, we give them a treat. Yep. We started that not realizing that, okay, now they're always going to expect that treat. Mm-hmm. And my older dog, she will like almost snort at me if we come in and we forget. Yes. And she'll start taking her paw and hitting my leg like, hello, you're supposed to give me my treat now. <laughs> yeah, so they do have a sense of routine. And sometimes the little things that we change in our routine um, can make a difference in their lives without us thinking about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I always think when, you know, I mean, buddies like that because, um, you know, when they come in from the garden or whatever, you know, when they've done something like that and he will stand there and wait. And I always think he's kind of saying, Oi, I know my rights. Give me my treat. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, dear. Now, you're, you, you started um, Leashes and Lovers. So can you tell us what, what that's about? Well, I got my first greyhound. I always had had dogs growing up, but I got my first greyhound and and somewhat my own dog as an adult um, several years ago, and it just really seemed to change my life. And I know a lot of people will say that, um, but I wanted it to also in, in so many aspects. I started taking her with me shopping and, and to in stores, to out to eat, to pretty much anywhere we went, we'd take her even in lounges and cigar bars. And it was interesting to see where all she was accepted. Um, and mainly because she was also just a, a wonderful, calm dog that certainly helped. But I just loved that aspect. And I felt like all of a sudden I was meeting so many more people than I would have. Um, we started talking about things that we may not have had I not had the dog with me. Um, just more things about life and what we enjoy doing and not the usual, you know, what do you do for work? And so I wanted to see about more of a way of making that available to others. And so at first I had put together a TV pilot, and it was people, pets, and dating, because I, I did notice, as I talked to a lot of people, that it seemed to really impact who they dated uh, if they had a dog and if there would be that second date. So as I did the TV pilot and was working on launching that, and it was taking more time and a little more difficult than I anticipated, I thought, well, what can I do in the meantime to at least make this happen now um, on my own terms? And from there came up with Leashes and Lovers. So it started out as doing events in cocktail settings and lounges and where people could bring their dogs and meet one another. And I started seeing some really interesting things happen where people would normally be all dressed up in nice clothes and their dogs are dressed up in Gucci. And yet people were sitting on the floor in these nice lounges, though, but uh, sitting on the floor, not even on couches, mm. petting other people's dogs, having these nice discussions and opening up with one another and really working the room as well, getting to know so many people in the room. And you don't see that usually when you go out. You might go with a couple of friends, and then next thing you know, you've only really stayed with your couple of friends and maybe met one or two other people. But in this case, lots of people were meeting other people. Um, they were doing it in a very relaxed setting. The dogs were having a great time. <laughs> um, so, And from there, I had a lot of interest in people wanting to have these sorts of things in their area. And so in order to, to extend that and, and offer that in a way virtually so that people can meet uh, no matter where they live and associate whether it's the same dog breed, maybe they just want to make more friends or have a dog play date, just converse over the Internet, um, or maybe find that date and even love. So from there it grew on to an online presence where now everyone around the world can make a profile of themselves and their dog you don't have to have a dog to be a part of Leashes and Lovers. Actually, several people on this site don't even have a dog yet, but they know that they want to meet someone who does love animals, uh, maybe has one, maybe they plan on getting one someday. But I think dog lovers especially know that there's something about us other dog lovers that it makes it easier for us to connect with one another. 
yeah. on another level. So I think, you know, regardless, they kind of know that you've got that common bond that we, we definitely love dogs. Um, and so you know that there's a place you can easily go and connect with other people. And I wanted to kind of have that equal balance again, so it's the person and the dog, uh, should they have one to kind of say, here we are, let's, let's meet, let's be friends or, you know, what do you like to do? Where have you gone? So in that way they can create blogs to connect with one another too and give tips so they can ask questions in a forum. Uh, but also just the, the usual fun things, sharing photos and videos too of, of their dogs and themselves. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you know yourself, you're out walking your dog, you meet somebody else with a dog and you just fall into conversation. It's the most natural thing in the world, isn't it? So it's, it's great to Definite. have another, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's great to have another forum to do that in because as you say, these are people that you might not you know, meet, you know, the other side of the world or whatever. Um, so it's great to have that outlet. Oh, yeah. It's just so easy to meet others, whether it's in person or online, and not feel like you're pushing yourself on them or say, oh, by the way, did you know I sell jewelry? Yes. <laughs> you <want> yeah. some? <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, it's an easier way to start off by, well, what's your dog's name and what do they like to do and whatever. And next thing you know, maybe you end, then you end up making a business connection as well. Um, or also just, you know, making another friend somewhere or, or somebody that you can later go visit and say, oh, great, you live in California. Well, next time I'm in, I'm in L.A., <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll give you a call. So it's amazing the, the networking and the connections just for friendship all around the world that you can make, all because it starts simply with a dog. Yeah, it's great. And I've been looking through some of the advice that uh, you've got, and sort of you've got things like um, how can I make myself and my dog more dateable? And the one that I loved, which obviously must happen if you, if you are introducing people with dogs, sort of if you're merging two dog households, you know, how do you go about that? Which is really, you know, really practical, useful stuff. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, a lot of times we might just think, uh, okay, so we have one dog between us and we're coming together and now we're living together or we've just gotten married. Um, but especially if the dog belongs, say, to one person in the beginning, you know, there's some things to at least be aware of at first when you do have that merging of the dog houses into one, um, you know, to have that discussion of how do you each feel about disciplining the dog? Um, is one of you more strict than the other? Because if you don't talk about those, next thing you know, the one may be more um, stern than you than you would have liked. So just making sure that those things are out in the open in, in terms of, also, the schedule, as you mentioned earlier, when do you want to walk the dog? Who's always going to take care of the dog? Is Because, say, maybe the woman brought the dog into the relationship. Is it still now all her responsibility? And that's fine if it is. It just needs to be agreed upon, say, mm-hmm. by the two parties. Or is she now thinking, well, you know, now he should share in this and he should do the second walk of the day? Or are you going to always try to do them together? So it's something more that you have this bonding of family time. So there's a, there's a number of things you have to really talk about. And um, some of the biggest ones especially are, okay, is the dog going to be allowed on the furniture? Yep. Are you going to allow the dog? <laughs> and the biggest one probably is, is the dog going to sleep in the bed with us? Um, and I've seen, you know, from couples loving that uh, to those that will end up creating, you know, a few arguments mm, yeah. <laughs> along the way. Oh, it's It's quite interesting actually when you, when one of you is doggy and the other one isn't really. And I mean, I've, I've always been desperate to have my own dog and I had to wait for the right time. Um, but my husband wasn't really into um, dogs that much. He comes from more a cat family. 
But when we had our Labrador, you know, it's a very hard heart that can withstand, you know, that that little person standing there going, oh, you're home. Great, great. I love you. I've missed you. And the <laughs> wagging tail, you know. And, you know, I always say now I've brought him around to the dog side, you know. <laughs> Not the dark side, yeah. the dog side. <laughs> Great, you converted one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it is, and it's it's um something I advise people to to not force on the other person. Mm. You know, you it's it's not really fair in a relationship to just say, Okay, you know what, now that we're together, I've always wanted a dog, so I'm going out and getting one. Um, that right away could lead to a little bit of problems and maybe it doesn't even happen immediately, but it, it certainly could down the road and then maybe the other person starts resenting the dog and the, or the dog even starts resenting the other, mm-hmm. your partner. Yeah. Um, so I usually advise people to make that choice together, um, work on the person or discuss it with them until they're, they're comfortable to getting a dog and it could take a while. Um, Mm. Actually, when I first met my husband and I didn't have a dog at the time, uh, he had never had a dog. So the whole thought to him was very new. Not sure he really wanted to be a part of that. Didn't like the idea of hair being all over the place, uh, especially on his suits and his clothes. Mm. And and then the, the crux was he really said, okay, there's no way though that dog is getting in our bed. Okay, there would not be a dog in our bed. Mm. <laughs> but over time, it was funny how so many things changed. Um, he loved, he, once he realized how important it was to me, and, and I didn't want to push it on him, but over time, I think he discovered um, I wanted that to be a part of my life. And so he actually started looking online first mm. um, for dogs and on different greyhound sites. And, uh, and then from there, I, I went with it and got our first one. And then later, we got our second one. And... Um, later the dogs ended up being in our bed and <laughs> and all that. So, you know, but I think as there's always some compromise, especially that's the thing to keep in mind yeah. um, with, with people who may not be dog lovers in the beginning. Um, but I think especially once a dog comes in the household, um, they usually put their magic to work and, yeah. <laughs> and convert those <laughs> who may not be. But, you know, there's certain places where the line needs to be drawn, and that's where, especially, again, the compromise and the discussions. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, I especially talk about when the merging of dog houses to do some planning, um, be consistent with what you do decide so that you're not also driving the dog crazy. Um, make time for just you and your dog and make time for you all to do things together as well. Um, mm. You know, especially if you were the one who brought the dog into the relationship, sometimes your dog may just want to do things with one of you. But the great thing about dogs is they're so flexible and easygoing that, you know, they're happy just to be with us. Yeah. Um, it's great if it's the whole pack and if it's just one of us, they seem to really go with the flow. And that's where I feel like a lot of times we can learn so much from them too is to think of their world a little bit and how easily adaptable they are to new situations and sometimes new environments entirely when they are moved from household to household or awaiting to to be in a household. Yeah, yeah, definitely, Mm -hmm. definitely. Um, You have another website, um, Fetcher Biz. Right, and these are, that's, part of you'll find it under leashes and lovers oh, right. okay. um, or you yeah or you can find it on its own as well you can put in fetchabiz.com um, and then you'll find it's it's a part of leashes and lovers and that's the business side of it and along with dog lovers making their profiles and connecting with other dog lovers for social activities um, the fetchabiz is perfect for the business owner to make a profile as well and feature their products and services because 
especially so many dog lovers coming to one place, um, oftentimes you may want to know too, well, where can you get that particular kind of collar that you're looking for or um, clothing or maybe it's a vet in your area, uh, you know, different services that you may need. There's several different categories there um, for the dog lover to search and the business owner to place themselves in so that they can be more easily found. Excellent, excellent. The, I mean, the other side of your work is, is meeting and, and interviewing celebrities, isn't it? Yeah, that's been really fun. That's been a nice perk, <laughs> <laughs> I think, with doing all this. is um, I mean, but you know what? To me, even the everyday dog lover is just as fun and special yeah, yeah. to interview. And sometimes I even say more um, exciting things. But um, I've also been fortunate to be able to interview some celebrities and um, as I even put it to Howard Stern one time, as I said, you know, he has a bulldog named Bianca, and uh, and he and Beth got married about a year or so ago. And I even said to him, I said, you know, I would love to be a fly on the wall in your house <laughs> and be <laughs> Bianca on the floor, <laughs> kind of seeing here what goes on. You know, I mean, uh, he seems like such a more subdued guy in person than he is on the air. So we just thought. Wow, what is it? What would it be like to be Bianca? And he admits that you know Bianca lives a pretty special life, and they love treating her special. And it's funny to see people that you would sometimes view as being gruff and and maybe a little rough around the edges, but yet how a dog can just so soften them. And you get him talking about his dog, and he just is so encouraging to everybody else to go out and get a dog, it really can change your life and, you know, it should be part of everybody's family. Uh, so I think, you know, it's it's great to hear from them. But, yeah, I've been fortunate to talk with Howard Stern and Rachel Ray, who has a, the, the lifestyle and cooking shows, um, Richard Belzer, who's been on Law & Order for a lum- number of years, a lot of soap opera stars. Um, there's still a lot of others I'd love to talk to um, and to get to talk to Monica Sellis. Mm-hmm. And she even talked about how... How she has several dogs and pets and all that, but how her dogs really have comforted her, and especially after being injured and being stabbed, mm. and you know that she really felt like it was her dogs who brought her solace yeah. to to things she went through. Yeah, I think as you say, sort of that that connection of having a dog and a love of dogs, it kind of quickly becomes just two dog lovers talking and and you forget everything else and you're just talking about dogs and it doesn't matter whether it is you know a celebrity or not you you just have that in common that's a great way of looking at it exactly I think if I were on the street and I were walking past and especially say in New York City you know you can easily walk by some certain celebrities and um I think if I saw them I would just be like um hi (laughs) if I even had the courage to do that but it's funny when you all of a sudden have a basis of, well, we'll talk about dogs, or I want to find out about your dog, all of a sudden, I'd find myself in these lengthy discussions with them, and it really doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what I do. Uh, You know, and it's amazing how we can immediately have, like you said, this connection, be able to have this conversation Mm. uh, that's just really freeing and and able to find out. And I think you get more of a sense of the person, too. You find out more of the core of who that person really is Mm. when you can immediately start talking about their dogs. And then you can move on to other subjects. It doesn't mean the entire conversation has to stay on that. But I think it's such an icebreaker and a way to find out more about that person um, and what they're really about. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, 
in, in light of all your experiences, um, you've written uh, Leashes and Lovers, What Your Dog Can Teach You About Love, Life and Happiness. So um, tell us a bit about that. Oh, it's, I'm so excited about this. And it's been a, a work in progress. And yes, Leashes and Lovers, What Your Dog Can Teach You About Love, Life and Happiness is really just that. I feel like it, a lot of it begins with your dog. And <clears throat> if we can look at our dog and learn from them in terms of how we can probably be better about ourselves with the relationships that we have. So it covers several different areas. And one of the first ones, of course, is if you're single and you're looking to have that date, who are you going to date, um, how you're looking to your your dog to help you um, know, is this the right person, is this not the right person? And Not to put all the, the faith in that, but I think a lot of people will you do kind of give it that sense um, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, that, you know, we kind of go there with that with our dogs and, and look at whether the person is a little um, accepting of our dog. So the first chapters or so deal with those initial moments of when you have that date or finding that right person. Then it moves on through various phases of our life. So then you move in together um, and what you do in regards to the dogs, then also there's chapters dealing with what if the relationship splits, uh, but the dog doesn't. So who gets the dogs? Tips that you can do in advance so you can have those discussions uh, in terms of should that happen, uh, and you should have those discussions just like you would various other things in your household or, or children before they happen so that it's not as rough should they happen. Um, and that may seem as if it's predicting that it will, but it's not at all. And I have various lawyers who even comment to how to um, treat that so that you're more prepared and that it's not as, not as emotional should that come about. Mm-hmm. To even extended family, um, those visits that you may have, and you know, some people's families are very accepting, but then there's also how to be the good house guest and, um, and taking your dog back and making those family visits with those who may or may not have dogs. So it covers all aspects um, of our life through life, yeah. no matter which, which phase you may be in at the moment. <laughs> That's excellent because, I mean, as you say, just just being with a dog is so calming and we're, we're so, you know, what's the next thing and planning and what have I got to do next? And, and the dog just, you know, if you can look at your dog and he's just there, I'm just lying on the floor enjoying snoozing or chewing this bone or, you know, or running around chasing a tennis ball, whatever it is. But they are just so in the now and you can learn so much from them. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I talk about a lot in the book is that because your dog is so present and really mostly lives in the present, that we can learn a lot by that. So often we're living in the past or we're looking too much to the future that to remind us to just, right, live more in the presence and be happy and and know that we have love and leashes in our life. If you have love and leashes in your life and you'd like to find out more about Cheryl, you can do that at her website, leashesandlovers.com, where there's a lot of information and some videos of Cheryl's celebrity interviews. Buddy's Christmas Advice for Dogs The indoor tree in the house with the twinkly lights and shiny baubles is not to be used for the same purpose as outdoor ones. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com 
And now, A Tale of Two Christmases, written and read by Julie Hill. To paraphrase the great Charles Dickens, it was the best of Christmases, it was the worst of Christmases. And it all started with a door that was open when it should have been closed. It was three days before Christmas, and the house was in chaos. In the lounge, half-wrapped presents were strewn around. In the kitchen, major culinary preparation was underway. The spare room was prepared for guests, and everywhere was festively festooned in readiness for Christmas and the visitors it would bring. It would be Claire and Roger's first married Christmas, and Claire was determined to make it a good one. She might even have been said to be obsessed with making it a great one, but we'll adopt the seasonal spirit of goodwill and be kind to her. Roger was also set on making their celebrations a success, and was busy arranging fairy lights on the large tree in their front garden. This was no mean task, as the long set of lights constantly tangled up on itself. The tree's inhospitable branches tossed and swayed in the stiff breeze, and Roger's fingers had long been numb with cold. At last he let the lights fall to the floor as he went inside in search of warmth and a coffee. Caffeine would help him get the job done. As he entered the house, he was treated to a joyous welcome from Bob, their eight-month-old bearded collie. He was really Claire's dog rather than theirs, but again, let the goodwill of the season gloss over that. Roger pushed Bob gently but firmly away, which diminished his attentions not at all, and carried on into the kitchen. Bob was more than usually pleased to see Roger, as his beloved Claire had eventually shut him out of the lounge after his several attempts to help proved most unwelcome. Roger made coffee for himself and Claire, and went to find her in the lounge, where she was attacking the never-ending job of wrapping presents. With scissors, tape, a variety of wrapping paper, curling ribbon, and an array of decorative bows in a variety of sizes, all within arm's reach. They talked for a few minutes, and then with a sigh, Roger rose to return to his chore. As he stepped from the lounge into the hallway, he froze when he saw the front door standing wide open. He must not have closed the door properly when he came in for coffee. There was, ominously, no sign of Bob. Shut the door, called Claire from behind him. You're letting the cold air in here. There was a pause then, as Roger stood horror-struck. When he turned to look at her, Claire could see from his face that something was very wrong. What's the matter? she asked. Not sure she wanted to hear the answer. They immediately searched the garden and the street. Wrapping and fairy lights were forgotten as they went from one end to the other of the street, knocking on every door, asking if anyone had seen Bob. But no one had. By then, Claire had tears pouring down her face, and she was getting more and more agitated with each shake of the head, and, no, sorry, I haven't seen him. Roger's jaw was set in a tense line. He knew it was his fault that Bob had got out, and the fact that Claire had not mentioned this was only making him feel worse. By now it was dark, with street lighting blinking into life, and in desperation Claire got into the car to extend the search. Roger opened the passenger door, but she said through her tears, No, stay here in case he comes back. And he hadn't the heart to protest, so he watched her drive off into the night to look for her dog. She was the one who had wanted the dog. She was the one who had researched and located the breeder, read all the books, picked the pup from the litter, and the one who had cuddled him through his first night in his new home, who had mopped up pee and poop and taught the shaggy scrap of a dog where he should toilet. In short, she was the one who had loved Bob. Ha! <laughs> Bob! She had chosen that name. 
It was a joke, and a joke at his expense at that. One day, when Roger had looked over her shoulder at a breeder's website, he had asked, Why do they have so many dogs called Bob? When she stopped laughing, Claire explained that it was a showing term. It stood for best of breed, and showed that the breeder was a successful one. It wasn't that Roger didn't love Bob. It was just that he was too full on, too in your face for him. When Bob jumped up, those raised front paws connecting at top speed and with daily increasing weight behind them into Roger's delicate manly regions on a regular basis was not his idea of fun. Nor were muddy footprints or dog hair on his work clothes. He did love the dog because he brought Claire so much happiness, but he couldn't get to the point of liking him. Not the kind of liking when you didn't immediately want to wash your hand when the dog had licked it. Not that kind of instinctive empathy that Claire and Bob seemed to achieve so easily. But now Bob was gone. There was a strange feeling building in Roger. He could hardly believe it himself, but he was really worried about that darn dog. And right then, he'd have given a lot to see him running through the hallway, muddy footprints and all. Claire finally came home much later that night, but there was no sign of Bob. The next day, both of them were out looking for him again, putting up posters and knocking on more doors, contacting the dog warden and local shelters, as well as registering Bob on every lost dog website Google could find for them. All to no avail. And another day passed with no sign of Bob, which brought them to Christmas Eve. The next day was Christmas, but with a few phone calls, Claire cancelled it. Or rather, she tried to, but neither her nor Roger's parents had made provisions of their own, knowing they would spend the day with Roger and Claire. So come they must. Christmas could not be roast turkey meal less. Claire agreed that they could come, but insisted that she would be out and about searching for Bob. That night, that cold, foggy, frosty Christmas Eve night, saw Claire and Roger walking the local streets, shining a powerful flashlight this way and that, calling Bob's name loudly. He's only a baby. He'll be frightened and cold and all alone somewhere, Claire said quietly. He's a dog. He'll be fine, Roger said. And finally, a dam broke within her. What do you care? she asked. You never wanted him in the first place. Roger was at a loss. That's not fair. I do care. I'm just trying to be a good husband and make you feel better. Well, you can't, she told him sadly. I didn't let him out deliberately, he told her. I never said you did, she said. But that doesn't change the fact that he's gone, and it doesn't help that you think I should stop the search for Christmas Day. I never said that, protested Roger, and his indignation rooted him temporarily to the spot. You didn't have to, Claire said. She stopped and turned to look at him. Their breath clouded in the cold and hung in the frosted air between them like the words they had spoken. I want to find Bob just as much as you do, Roger said. No, you don't. I do, Roger insisted. Since he's gone, I've really. Well, I've really. <sighs> he's just so darned affectionate, so unrelentingly friendly. Every time I walk in the front door, all that tail wagging, and the times when he just sits and looks at me with those dopey eyes, and even the way he always has to play tug of war with me when I'm trying to get my socks on in the morning. He tailed off. And looked uncharacteristically sheepish. I've missed him. I've really missed him. And we can't have Christmas without him because he's part of the family. And Christmas is all about family, isn't it? 
And that was the first time Claire knew for sure that Roger loved Bob. Maybe not in quite the way she did, but they had the beginnings of something that would grow, which was wonderful, and they would be all right. Well, they would be all right so long as they could ever get Bob back. She hugged Roger tightly, right there on the street, in the freezing fog on Christmas Eve. And it was wonderful, because he did love their dog. And it was dreadful, because that dog was apart from them. The buzz of her cell phone made her pull away from him. It was the news they wanted. It was the dog warden. A dog walker had discovered Bob, bedraggled and forlorn, hiding under a hedge, but otherwise safe and sound. The dog walker had contacted the dog warden, who had scanned Bob's microchip and was now contacting them. It was not the Christmas they had planned. Some presents went unwrapped, and the tree in the front garden went unadorned. But they were together, which was all that mattered. Their parents listened to the stories of the search. Claire sneaked Bob as much turkey as he could manage, and Roger checked at least twice that every door he opened was closed. That was A Tale of Two Christmases, written and read by Julie Hill. Buddy's Christmas Advice for Dogs Do not eat all the chocolate tree decorations or your people will rush you to the vet who will do awful things to you. Labradoodles are a relatively new phenomenon, yet sadly, some of them are already finding themselves in rescue. Helping to find them loving permanent new homes is already necessary, so I went to meet some dedicated Labradoodle rescuers at Labradoodle Trust to find out more. You'll hear in this interview that there were four Labradoodles around us as we talked. You'll hear panting, drinking and the microphone being knocked. Now, I have to say, I do love enthusiastic dogs, and my own Labrador is fairly full of beans. But boy, those Labradoodles take the biscuit. The first interview is with Catherine Matheson. I've just met your flock of Labradoodles. <laughs> herd, maybe. They resemble a herd, I think, really. <laughs> and, and you started Labradoodle Rescue. Myself and a few other people that are all Labradoodle lovers, mm. um became aware that uh, there were instances where people weren't coping with Labradoodles for one reason or another and so we wanted to try and make sure that they would get decent homes where they wouldn't be, you know, passed around over and over again <laughs> Hello <laughs> I'm being attacked by being Labradoodled <laughs> so, so yes, we set up uh, Labradoodle Rescue as it was then um, just over two years ago just as a a small um, a small organisation just to help out where we could but um, we found that the need for our services was getting more and more so now we're trying to put it on a more formal footing uh, so we're in the process of putting everything in place to get charity status so that's our aim for the next year but consequently we've had to formalize more things um, for the charity commission but we still work very much um, as a small group of volunteers Uh, we're always after more (laughs) (laughs) so we have home checkers and transporters and fosterers from all around the country so very often we'll 
have to pick up a dog in, I don't know, say, London, and the only fosterer we can find for that particular dog might be in, I don't know, Manchester or somewhere. So then, obviously, we have to transport. So we're very, very reliant on a lovely group of people that will, you know, do everything they can to help us out. And... What a, why does a Labrador, or why might a Labradoodle find itself in rescue? What are the problems that you've come across? There's a variety of reasons, really, but um, one of the major ones is that people believe Labradoodles to be allergy-friendly, non-shedding, and, of course, any dog that has Labrador in it cannot be guaranteed not to shed uh, or to be allergy-friendly, um, it's, it is a myth that all Labradoodles are suitable for anybody who may suffer from asthma or any dog allergy. Just looking at the four we've got here, the, the coats vary from sort of a quite a tight, almost Bichon-type coat to a bit sort of, um, cur- well, wavy, to sort of more of almost a, an Irish wolfhound-type coat. So they do vary, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> they they can vary even between litter mates. Um, you can have curly ones and straight ones within the same litter. Um, purely throwback to genes, I suppose, um, yeah. and their makeup. Um, and also, of course, um, the puppies won't shed. So a lot of people find that when they start getting their adult coat, um, that may make a difference to how people react to them also um, a lot of people don't realise just how over exuberant <laughs> they they are, I have to say you warned me <laughs> before I came and I was like no no it's fine I've got a Labrador I know but they, they are I mean they're gorgeous but they oh, yeah. are very enthusiastic aren't they extremely enthusiastic and very intelligent they need a lot of mental stimulation a lot of exercise they're fantastic dogs yeah but you know they can be big they can be boisterous and with lab in them they may also like to chew (laughs) there was a short break at this point to clear up something the dogs had knocked over when we started up again we talked about the variation in size of labradoodles the size varies massively um obviously if you've got a small lab and a smallish poodle then you're going to end up with a smaller smaller dog but um, I think it does take some people by surprise, the size that they can be. So a, a lot of the work um, that Labradoodle Trust, as we are now known, yeah. are doing is to try and educate people before they actually make that decision yeah. to, to get a Labradoodle puppy. Yeah. And it's making people aware of how much care the coat needs, how big they'll become, how much exercise they need. Um, because the last thing we want is broken-hearted people that can't cope or have to get rid of their dog for whatever reason, be it allergies or just yeah. coping, really. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. If you can give people a fair idea, you know, an honest idea of what to expect Absolutely. with the dog, you know, they stand a better chance of making the right choice for them, don't they? Yes. And, of course... I think you've got two problems. One, they vary so much. And the other one is, they're so hyped up. You know, it's this designer crossbreed thing. And there is a lot of hype, isn't there? There is. um, And I think all of us at Trust were 
hoping and praying that Barack Obama didn't have a Labradoodle yeah. because, of course, his daughter has allergies. Yeah. And it was certainly a dog that they were muting as a, a good dog to have. Yeah. So we were all keeping our fingers crossed. Unfortunately, he didn't go for one because yeah. I think certainly for the American uh, version of Labradoodle Trust, they could have ended up with some yeah. some difficulties. I think for any breed, popularity has problems. Absolutely, it? and of course we've got Top Gear Dog. He's a he's a Labradoodle, and yeah. um, uh, what's his name? Graham Norton. He has one. Yeah. And the more people like that that have them, the more popular they become and, and desirable. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and at the moment, we sort of we're getting in sort of one to two dogs a week. Mm which for such a small organisation is a phenomenal amount of... Mm. Well, getting people to help us out is, is our biggest issue. Yeah. Obviously, funding, we're, we're completely self-funded. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, if, it, if it gets any worse, mm. then obviously we're going to have to rethink our structure or, yeah. or whatever so when you hear of a dog that needs rescuing you know or somebody contacts you and says i can't cope anymore you know then what happens to the dog because presumably you don't have kennels yet so what happens to them no we don't we don't have kennels as such we um we have our list of volunteer fosterers so it's then a process of contacting all of them to try and find somebody that will take the dog we always put any dog that we get into foster care first so that it can be assessed, um, spayed or neutered if need be, and vaccinations and what have you. But we need to know whether that dog is socialised with other animals, kids, whatever, mm. before we can decide what's the most suitable home for, for the dog. Yeah. Um, and then so that that dog could be in foster for anything from two weeks up to two, three months mm. um, or longer if we can't find a home suitable mm. for the dog. And we have a, a list of people, that are applicants wanting mm. a dog, uh, who can specify if they have preferences to boy, girl, coat type, size, what have you. But we try and match the dog to the home rather than the other way around. Mm. Um, because we want the best possible placement yeah. for that dog. So, um, and all our applicants <laughs> have to be home checked first, and we try and ensure that our home checkers always take a Labradoodle with them, preferably the worst behaved one they can find. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> because they need to see exactly what they're, okay. they're thinking of taking on before yeah. it's too late the last thing we want is dogs coming back to us yeah. um, and so far we've been pretty successful um, yeah. we get an awful lot of emails and letters from people 12 months on mm. who are just so pleased with their dog yeah. and some even consider having another one so mm. You know, that's, so you them up well. that's <laughs> yes, exactly. That's when we know we've we've done yeah. the job right. So. Yeah. so, was this obviously you've you've had to build a network? In, you know, put that in place for the for the the Labradoodle Trust. Was that a network of friends that was there before, or are these people that you've met through Labradoodle Trust? It, it's a bit of both, actually. I mean, um, 
we all initially met uh, on a Labradoodle website. That, mm. uh, so our common interest, obviously, was Labradoodles. And obviously you you meet people virtually that mm. way. Um, but once it was set up, um, of course, we've had to have meetings, so we have had to meet mm. physically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that network has had to grow, so there are a lot of new people mm. that we didn't know before, but that now help out or or help with fundraising. So it has become quite a large community, really. Yeah. Um, Catherine, the fosterer that's here now, I didn't know her until mm. after she started fostering for us, but yeah. as she's reasonably local, it's quite nice to have somebody to go on a, a doodle dash with or... <laughs> I think it's fantastic that a group of people brought together by a love of the breed and with the help of the internet see a need and between them they meet it. Labradoodle Trust fosterer Catherine Crowther told me about her experiences. I foster and we started well my daughter wanted a Labradoodle. We've got um, we've got Labradors at home, mm. an abundant amount of them. And um, so we found the website just by chance, mm. rang them up, and within the week we got Bobby mm. bit of a shock um, two years later we've still got him he's still a bit of a shock <laughs> <laughs> but I felt that I needed to help them because at the, they were in their infancy and they were actually we, we, we homed him from his last home mm. there was nobody in between so I offered to be one of those in between people one of the fosterers yeah. so I um, haven't had one for the last six months but we've had four over the last 18 months mm-hmm. where we've collected them or, or met somebody or had them delivered to us by the lovely transporters. They've taken them from their homes, which people have, under distress usually, have, mm. have handed them in. New baby, divorce, moving house, mm. work, different situations of work. Very upset. I haven't seen as many men cry over handing dogs. Yeah. It's really upsetting. So... Um, We've taken them in, we've evaluated them, they've become part of our home and, I, and the dogs, with, with our own dogs as well. Mm. Um, and then sent them on their way, found a new people for yeah. them. I don't do that, but obviously Catherine and the other ladies do that. And it's really nice with, you know, two, three, four, even four months later, they've gone to a new home and then we get updates from them, mm. which is really good. Yeah. So when people do need to have help and they can't manage these dogs for whatever reason it is, whether it's the shedding or the baby coming along or whatever, there is there is hope mm. for them. It's but it's jolly hard work on the volunteers. I bet, yeah. You know, and yeah. and the likes of us fosterers. Yeah. It's a, yeah. You know, you you get a dog um, such as Bobby. Oh no, he doesn't chew, um, and he wrecked my lovely chest of drawers. Oh. <laughs> Um, and things like that, you don't take it actually at face value. You have to find out yeah, yeah. what 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 their problems are. Yeah. So. I always think you you don't really know a dog until it's lived in your house with you for a while, and then you suddenly think, oh my goodness, this dog seemed okay. He's got this this habit or that habit. Exactly, exactly. That's right. Um, th- th- this chap that we've got, he's very intelligent. Um, the-, the first week we had him, my husband was putting logs into a wheelbarrow and uh, young Bobby was taking them out and making a pile of his own. <laughs> so it's intelligence. It's not necessarily applied as you would wish. Exactly. They do go self-employed. And I think this is, as I always say, this is the thing people need to know with these, with these dogs. Uh, any cross, you're going to get bits from uh, mm. both genes of, of the, the, fa- the parents 
and you don't know what you're going to come out with. You don't know what coat they're going to come out with. You don't know what size. You don't know what personality they are um, or health problems. Yeah. Um, and as you said, as Catherine's saying, they are the, the, the vogue dog at the moment. And mm. people go, OK, we'll have a Labradoodle. Um, and he actually, my, my, my chap sleeps in a kennel at night. Um, and he, so he needs his coat and he sheds it amazingly. You know, I could spin a blanket if yeah. I could do it. So that in a house with somebody who's, who thought they were having a dog for allergy benefits, mm. it, it, it's such a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know they would have to rehome him. Oh yeah, which I think was the case with him anyway. Yeah, yeah, yes, because he is, is the one you know that looks more sort of very Irish wolfhandy. Case. He is, yes, yeah. yes. He's not your typical um, uh, curly locks no. dog from the television, is he? And and this is one of the problems I've had. Um, I think two of the of the recent three dogs I, I fostered males. Standard poodle crosses, so they're quite big dogs, mm-hmm. um, and with a shaggy coat, as you say, Irish Wolfhound. Not, not the classic Labradoodle that people are looking for, and they're really difficult to rehome because yeah. people want that designer label. And the ladies that are doing the rehoming sometimes are at their wits' end because we've got an amazing amount of these big dogs that need lots of entertainment, lots of care. Mm-hmm. But a credit to anybody, they're brilliant yeah. dogs. But yeah. if somebody says, no, I want a Labradoodle with a shaggy coat and one like that off mm. Top Gear or wherever, then we haven't got them. We no. just haven't got them no. occasionally. But, but So we have got quite a lot of the males, the standard males, I think, that mm. are desperate need of homes, but yeah. the right ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose, in a way, that's something many breeds suffer from, the look of them. Exactly. You know, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. for example, Weimaranas, just off the top of my head, you know, or Dalmatians, anything yeah. that's visually striking, oh, that's the look I want. Yeah. But it's the yeah. nature of the dog. You've got to live with that dog. Exactly. Isn't it? It, it, exactly. That, that, that's, that's what yeah. it is. It's like, it's like any uh, dog. You know, I've got uh, Labradors, and I've had several litters of black Labradors. That's quite easy, really, because people know what a Labrador is. They're very intelligent, very... Um, well, I say they grow, <laughs> grow up slowly, yeah. but at least they know it is a black Labrador you're yeah. getting in that yeah. case. These, you can have anything. And they're, I think there's a few now that come in party-coloured where they're actually mm. multicoloured, um, yeah. which are quite um, yeah. popular. Yeah. And they say, oh, no, we want one of those. Mm. Well, when you're going into rescue, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bit like your charity shop, isn't it? You've just got to see what's, what's there, there, really. Yeah. Um, and but these breeders are pumping them out, I'm afraid, mm-hmm. which it's quite sad that yeah. they then. And I, I do believe that the people in the rescue are noticing now these names are coming up, these breeders' mm-hmm. names are coming up again. So I don't know if the owners, uh, the new owners, are going back to the breeders because um, an honest breeder would then take that dog back. Yeah. Obviously, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. They're coming into rescue mm-hmm. um, for different reasons, and and it's over to us to to help them. Yeah. So, I mean, you've said it's obviously it's hard work, but it must be very rewarding. It is. It's lovely. It is. Mm. It's lovely when when you can't, um, especially when we've we've had dogs that basically oh it'll it won't come. Mm. We, we we take it for walks in the park. That's one of the problems. It won't come to you, and then it doesn't take long before a dog realises if if you if you train it properly, if it comes to you, mm. and and that's that's great. 
and then you've done all this work in two to three months with it and it, it's it's a pleasure to have around you yeah. can then hand that dog on and then you get the photographs especially with email now you get these photographs you say, oh this is what such and such doing lounging out on the sofa <laughs> you think, oh my goodness yeah. <laughs> it's a lovely life day yeah and it is it's, it's super mm. that's and really uh it's not up to me to keep in touch i don't the fosterers don't really have the contact with the, the original owner mm. but i think there is an update so it's really nice so if you do have to hand that dog into rescue you do get an update that it's fine it, it, and that's all somebody wants to know yeah. I, don't, I don't think they can ha- expect to have a, a monthly or a yearly update because they have actually handed that yeah. on yeah. but they do know that we will do our very best and we do yeah. to, to get a good home and a forever home which yeah. is at the end of the day that's what we call them yeah. forever home yeah. but we do need lots more fosterers and, uh, and the transporters and every, just little bits you yeah. know to help really yeah so, I mean, we're coming up to a time of year just after Christmas where dogs are traditionally, you know, unfortunately, it's a sad tradition, but dumped, you know, you get them for Christmas perhaps and then it's not right in whatever way. So for people who have a dog or two or whatever already and can't take on another one permanently, it sounds like there's a stack of, of ways that you can still help with rescue. Oh, definitely. Well, we actually took on uh, on a, a dog um, the week before Christmas because this was the problem. Baby was coming along. They couldn't go with baby and dog and Christmas. And... Um, yeah, that's what, that's what we, we actually took the dog on and we had her for, for, actually we had her for three months until the right home was, was there for her. But, um, sorry, I'm being chewed <laughs> by the hound. <laughs> Go away. Um, can't remember your question. <laughs> there's lots of different ways. There is lots of different ways and there's fundraising. If you, uh, Catherine, I think, gave you the, the website, yeah. the, the, the trust. There's lots of things going on. There's lots of ways of fundraising apart from physical help. Um, that we, you can get help and the numbers are there so if you feel that you could transport a dog or feel that you can fundraise or feel that you can just help just for a short term foster yeah. even if it's just a week mm. it could be an overnight If it, it could be that they're coming from Cornwall and they've got to go to Scotland or wherever it could be the other diagonals, amazing they're doing this in legs of journeys so uh, I've done that before, I've had them just overnight where mm. somebody then has collected them the next day and off they've gone on their way oh. to their to their fosterer and then ready for their forever home and again then from their fosterer to their forever home yeah. we do it that way so yes there's lots of little goings on yeah. all over the country oh. and it, it, it's super really yeah. oh, that's that's you're obviously, obviously a very important part of a very important network and you know congratulations to you you're doing a great <laughs> job best of luck with it oh well thank you very much it is lovely i'm really proud of, proud of yeah. it yeah and I, it, it's just by fluke that we've clicked that button and we found that website through daughter wanting one and we i feel that we need to help help it the four labradoodles i met were wonderful but a lot of dog to handle or live with i hope labradoodle trust goes from strength to strength and if you're interested in finding out more here's Catherine matheson to tell you how we have a very comprehensive website uh, it's www.labradoodletrust.com mm-hmm. on there we have pages all about choosing a puppy what to look for whether a rescue dog's right for you and most importantly highlighting the allergy myth yeah. and trying to give guidance to people that might think a labradoodle's the right dog for them mm. buddy's christmas advice for dogs do not have anything to do with the sticky tape people use to wrap presents. It is spiteful and pulls your fur out if it can get hold of you. 
Hello and welcome to a special Christmas edition of the Dogcast Radio News. I'm Nick. And I'm Kate. First off, did you know that more people than ever are putting their dogs on their Christmas present list this year? An Associated Press Petside.com poll shows 52% of pet owners will be buying their dog a Christmas gift. And despite the credit crunch, that figure is a 43% increase on last year. And that's also despite the fact that 93% of Americans say they'll be cutting their overall spending this festive season. There is a bewildering array of dog-related goodies on offer to choose from. But remember, our belief here at Dogcast Radio is that the best present for your dog is spending time with him. And that is absolutely free. One of the best things for your dog, and you, is taking him for a walk. And here's a Christmas boost for dog owners because the news is that dog walkers get more exercise than gym members. Research by pet healthcare expert Bob Martin found that on average, dog owners walk their dog twice a day for 24 minutes each time, which adds up to 5 hours and 38 minutes each week. But on top of that, dog owners get out on three longer walks, bringing the weekly total up to 8 hours 11 minutes. However, poor old non-dog owners apparently spend just one hour 20 minutes either at the gym or out walking or jogging each week. And if you haven't got a dog and you'd like to get the benefit of all that dog walking exercise, then just make one of your New Year's resolutions to volunteer to walk the dogs at your local rescue shelter. Now we move on to the Bar Humbug Award, which goes to animal rights group PETA who have come up with a suggestion that a college football team called the Georgia Bulldogs replaces their late bulldog mascot with a robot dog. First, Petter demanded that any replacement dog should come from a shelter. That was a great idea, but maybe in the meantime they got to the Christmas eggnog a little early and went public with the robot dog idea. Apparently, the Georgia Bulldogs are thinking things over. Let's hope Petter do the same before their next suggestions. And now to something of a Christmas miracle, and the story of a dog whose taste for odd snacks was nearly the end of him. When Roxy, a basset hound from Florida, was a bit off colour and began throwing up, her owner rushed her to the veterinarian. X-rays revealed that the dog had swallowed an amazing 130 nails. An immediate and very delicate operation successfully and slowly removed the nails, with incredibly no damage to Roxy. From now on, let's hope Roxy can see the point of sticking to regular dog food. And finally, what's the most dangerous animal your dog encounters on his daily walk? Well, a dog in Victoria, Australia, had a lucky escape when a kangaroo attacked him and his owner. Farmer Chris Rickard and his blue heeler cattle dog Rocky were walking on their property when Rocky accidentally disturbed a sleeping kangaroo. Although they are normally peaceful, this kangaroo was clearly riled when Rocky and a group of nearby horses all gave chase as he made his escape. Unfortunately, the kangaroo headed towards a dam, and when Chris caught up with the animals, the kangaroo had Rocky held under water near the dam. Without thinking of his own safety, Chris waded in to rescue his dog, sustaining serious injuries in the process. After hospital treatment, Chris and Rocky are back home and doing well. And so, wishing you Merry Christmas and a Hoppy New Year. That's all from the Dogcast Radio News Desk. See you in 2010. Buddy's Christmas Advice for Dogs 
Merry Chris and New Year's can be very stressful for your people, so be extra affectionate and make sure they take you for lots of walks. Merry Christmas. That's all from Dogcast Radio for this year, but we'll be back in 2010 with more great interviews, news and anything and everything dog-related. So till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121-288-0922. From the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 44121-288-0922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident DogCastRadio. That's all one word, DogCastRadio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. They crossed a pointer and a setter. The new breed is a point setter, a traditional Christmas pet.